If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find Hebrews 1 on, or in your pew Bible on page 204. In the New Testament, page 204. And I think it's appropriate, let's stand together to read Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And also you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you please come and show us the beauty of the face and person of your Son, Jesus. Fill us, O Lord, with the knowledge of who he is, of who you are. Fill us so that this knowledge can turn to worship, to joy, to praise, to trust. Lord, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. During this uh, Christmas season, we have been doing a series of messages called Portraits of Praise. And in this series, we have been looking at various biblical characters to see how they responded to the amazing event of the incarnation, the embodiment of God 
in the person and birth of Jesus Christ. So we looked a couple of weeks ago at the Virgin Mary's response of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord. Then last week we looked at the shepherd's response of praise and the angel's praise response. And now today we look at our heavenly Father's praise response to His Son, Jesus. We should know up front that the book of Hebrews that has just been read, chapter 1 has just been read, the point of the book of Hebrews is to sound forth a series of warnings urging us who profess faith in Christ to stay faithful to the end. Depending on how you number them, there are between six to nine warnings and strong admonitions, strong encouragements in this book for us as believers, for you and for me, to stay in the faith. Do not jump ship. Endure to the end. And in calling us to endurance in the faith, the author of Hebrews reminds us of why it's worth it. Why should we stay in the faith of Jesus? And his primary incentive, his primary argument is simply to tell us that we ought to stay in the faith of Jesus because of Jesus. Because Jesus is worth it. Indeed, the whole point of the book of Hebrews in the primary way the author aims to keep us from falling away from Jesus is by reminding us of how wonderful Jesus is and by telling us there is nothing and no one higher, there is nothing and no one better than Jesus, the Son of the living God. Hebrews is all about the surpassing worth and excellencies of Christ. So as you read through this book, we read that in Jesus we have a better revelation. We have a better person, a a son who is higher than the angels. We have a better king. We have a better prophet. We have a better rest giver. We have a better promise keeper. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better high priest. We have a better homeland. We have a better treasure and pleasure. All of that is declared for us in the book of Hebrews. If you want this Christmas season to get a fresh glimpse of the beauty and wonder of Jesus, read the book of Hebrews and let it wash over your soul. Friends, your faith and mine weaken when we take our faith eyes off of Jesus. When, when we begin to think that someone or something out there is better than Jesus, we are in trouble. Hebrews is about Jesus. It's interesting. The point of the book of Hebrews is the exact opposite of what everybody in our culture today says. Nowadays, everyone loves to say things like, all religions are basically the same, and the difference between the religions is like the difference between vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry ice cream. There's no inherently superior flavor. Just pick whichever one suits your taste buds. 
And this is actually being taught in our universities and colleges everywhere nowadays. All the religions are basically the same. Folks, that is so utterly and completely false. It is so utterly and completely, and I don't mean this meanly, but it's ignorant. All you have to do is study the religions and you find out they are vastly different. They are, they are similar in terms of ethics and morals, but they are vastly different as to who God is and how to know God and how to be right with God and who Jesus is. And the point is that the book of Hebrews says there is no faith like Jesus' faith because there's no one like Jesus. He is alone. For this simple reason, there is no reason to go anywhere else. You have the very best there is in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews gets his argument started by recording for us an amazing scene that took place in heaven right at the moment when God the Father sent His Son into the world. You look in verse one, a cha- a verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, And when He, the Father, brings the firstborn, that is, the one of highest rank, that's what that phrase firstborn means, when He brings the firstborn into the world, He says, He says to all the angels, all the inhabitants of heaven, let all God's angels worship Him. This is a Christmas text. This is a text, it's it's fascinating, this is a text that opens the window into heaven and says, this is what happened in the moment when the eternal Son of God entered into the world. This is how God the Father responded. This, This was going on in heaven. God the Father called the attention of all of His angels and all the saints that have gone on before. And He said to them all, I'm putting a few words into His mouth, but you'll get the idea. He said to them all, the time for which we have all been waiting, that time of redemption, that time of salvation has come. I'm going to send My Son into the world. Now as He goes, I want you all to hear how I view this one. I want you to hear my, my boasting, my joy, my pride, my delight in this one who's about to be born. And in Hebrews chapter 1, we have the Father's declaration of the worth and the worthiness of the Son as His Son was leaving heaven to inhabit the womb of Mary to enter into this world. There are several things that the Father says. Follow these quickly with me this afternoon. What what does the Father say to the Son? Well, He says, first of all, you, My Son, you share My nature. You share My nature. That's part of what it means when the Father says in verse 5, keep your Bibles open, you'll want to track this. In verse 5, the Father says, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. This is not 
adoption sonship. We who come to faith in Christ, we're adopted sons and daughters of God. There's a different kind of sonship here. This is a sonship of a shared nature. The language is hard to come up with, to come up with something that's strictly accurate. But what this is, the Father is saying to His Son is, you and I share the same nature. You are my Son. We have the same, I'm not sure this is accurate, I want to say it, but the same divine DNA. We are, we are, we are one in the same. We, we share the same nature. Look back at verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, He is the what? The radiance of the glory of God. And the exact, the exact imprint of God's nature. God is this blazing light. God is this radiant, unapproachable brilliance. And the sun is the radiance, the, the shining forth of the glory of God. He, he, is, he is God shining out. He is God shining forth. He is the exact, the exact imprint of the nature of God. The Father says, as you look at this one entering the world, know, know that He shares my nature. That He is one with me. As Jesus would later say, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. And as wonderful and mysterious as this is, and J.I. Packer says, and he's right, I think, this is the greatest miracle of the Christian faith. How is it possible that he who dwelt in the form of God, who was equal with God, was willing somehow to be embodied Imagine the sun in all of its radiance, in all of its glory, somehow being willing to be embodied in a 40-watt bulb. The, the eternal God in all of His glory was willing to take on human flesh, to come among us. He had the very nature of God, and yet he didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped, Philippians 2, but was willing to let it go, willing to humble himself by becoming one of us. This, no doubt, is not only the greatest miracle of our faith, it is the greatest mystery of our faith. For who can, who can, who can fathom the wonder of God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A number of you will know that a few weeks ago I had the privilege of being part of a conversation with three or four Christian leaders together with a number of Muslim clerics and leaders here in our community. And at one point over dinner as we were talking, one of the Muslim friends said, you Christians believe in the Trinity, and the Trinity is irrational and illogical. Which gave me a chance to respond. And to which I said something like this, I understand how it could seem illogical and irrational, 
But the truth of the Trinity is mysterious and unfathomable, but not irrational and not illogical. It would be irrational, a contradiction, if we said there is one God in one breath, and then in the next breath said there are three gods. That would be a contradiction. That would be irrational. But we don't say that. In fact, we emphatically deny that. There is but one God, but He exists in three persons, distinct, equal, inseparable, and one. Now, there's no contradiction there. There's no lack of logic or rationality. But I will admit this. There's something beyond reason there. There's a mystery too deep and too wonderful to fathom. There's something glorious there that we will never get our minds around and that is to be expected since God is God, infinite in His being and glory. And we are, well, just look in the mirror. And who are we? Who are we ever going to be to fathom who God is? There's, there's mystery here, but God the Father declares it. He says to the Son, you share my nature. Secondly, the Father says to the Son, you bear my names. You bear my names. Look at verse 8. He says to the Son, your throne... Notice this, God says to the Son, your throne, O what? O God is forever and ever. God says to God, your throne is forever and ever. And that's a quote from Psalm 45 where the Hebrew word for God, Elohim, is used. God is calling the Son, God. And then in verse 10, the Father calls the Son, Lord, citing Psalm 102, where the Lord is Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. So here, the Father, on the, the, in the moment when the Son was about to enter into this world, the Father says to the Son, in the hearing of all the angels and all the inhabitants of heaven, you are my Son, you share my nature, and you share my names. You are God, and you are Lord, the Father goes on in the third place to say to the Son, you have my attributes, my character. Notice verse 8, the Father says to the Son, the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You are a righteous one. You are the righteous one. He says in verse 10, that the Son is eternal. Look at the words. You, Lord, this is the Father talking to the Son. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Doesn't that bring to mind John chapter 1 and verse 1? In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, a name for Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word. What does that mean? Think it through. When the beginning began, He already was. He is the only person in the history of the cosmos who was alive before He was born. In the beginning 
was the Word. In the beginning, You, Lord, the Father says to the Son, You laid the foundation of the earth. When everything else was made, Jesus was already there. The Son made all things. Then the Father says to the Son in verse 10 that He is immutable. He is unchangeable. Verse 10, You, Lord, this is the Father talking to the Son, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. They will perish, but You remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But You, My Son, You are the same, and Your years will have no end. He is the unchangeable one, the immutable one. Learn those big words. They're beautiful. He is immutable. He doesn't change. Chapter 13, Jesus Christ. You can finish this verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the immutable one. He is the unchanging one. Because He is already perfect, He doesn't have to change for the better. And because He is perfect, He cannot change for the worse. He is immutable and unchanging. And the Father speaks to the Son as His Son's about to enter the world and says to you, to Him and for the angels eavesdropping and for us now eavesdropping, the Father says, you are the same and you always will be. The Father next says to the Son, you do my works. You do my works. Verse 10, the Son creates all things. The Lord, you Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Remember Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 1, the Father says to the Son, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. The Son does the work of the Father. And we read in verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe. That is, He upholds All things, all that is, He, the Son, upholds it all by the Word of His power. The Son who came into the world in that little baby's body was at that very moment upholding the universe. Sustaining all things. Carrying it on His shoulders. Holding it together, as Colossians puts it. In Him, all things consist. All the power, all the energy, all the forces, all the, 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 the might and glory and pulls and pushes of this universe. He holds it all together. This is what the Father says to Him. Not only did you make everything, but it's because of your word of power. He didn't even have to flex his muscles. All he has to do is speak. Just speak. Stay together, universe. And he holds it all together. This is is a praise service going on here, folks. From the Father to the Son. 
This is what happened in heaven in the moment just before, just as the sun was entering into the world that first Christmas night. It is no wonder then that the Father says to the Son in the fifth place, you deserve my worship. You deserve my worship. That is, you deserve the worship that I deserve and that I enjoy. Notice verse 6, and again, when He brings the firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. So, Luke 2, read earlier, there was suddenly a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. You know why they were doing that? Because the Father said, angels, start worshiping this one. This is, this is a moment for cosmic worship. This is a moment for the heavens to declare the glory of My Son. And keep in mind, the Scriptures tell us, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. And here's God telling the angels to worship His Son because His Son is God. You deserve My worship, the Father says. And so, as Mary was pondering all these things up in her heart. Luke chapter 2. As the shepherds were kneeling down before the infant child who had become the Lamb of God and were worshiping Him, the heavens were singing and the Father was praising Him. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. And finally, the Father says to the Son, You are my King. You are my King. Hebrews 1 and verse 3, The Son sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, Hebrews 1 in verse 8, the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hebrews 1 verse 13, And to which of the angels has He ever said, Sit at My right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He's never said that to any angels, but the Father said it to His Son. You are the heir of all things, My Son. You have now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Your throne is forever and ever. And you are going to reign, King Jesus. You are going to reign, my son, until you bring all of my enemies and all of your enemies to utter defeat. Until... Utter You're going to defeat them. You are going to make them a footstool for your feet. All, all the stuff that happens, all the evil that happens, all the sufferings that happen, all the death that happens, 
all the Beverly Green Slades that we lose. He's going to make his enemies his footstool. He's going to turn death on its head. He's already through the cross put death to death so that it has no more sting for us. It has a sting for those of us left behind, but there is no sting for those who go on ahead. No sting at all. It is glory, instantaneous, infinite, eternal glory. He reigns until every enemy is made his footstool. Until he is king of kings and lord of lords and everyone everywhere throughout all time acknowledge it. So as we live in this world and in the grief and in the pain, let us hear the words of the Father to his Son. The Father says, you share my nature. You bear my names. You have my attributes. You do my works. You deserve my worship. You are my King. And folks, as I was preparing this message, it occurred to me that if, if this is not who Jesus is, then we who claim to believe in Jesus are of all people most to be pitied. What a waste of a life if you're believing in someone who isn't real. But if he is this, and he is, it's declared by the Father, proven through the resurrection. If he is who the Father says he is, then we can be all in. We can be all in. But you say, I, I don't get it. I don't get all this Trinity stuff. I can't figure out how God can be God and Jesus can be God. My friends, God is not meant to be understood. He is meant to be worshipped. He is not meant to be fathomed. He is meant to be followed and adored and worshipped and delighted in. He shares God's nature. He bears God's names. He has God's attributes. He does God's works. He deserves God's worship. He is God's King. And there's one more thing. If you look over at chapter 2, you find out that he is redeemer of God's people. Chapter 2 and verse 14, Since therefore the children, that's you and me, since the children, since humans share in flesh and blood, he himself, this one that the Father's been talking about in chapter 1, he himself likewise partook of the same things. What same things? Flesh and blood. That through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Just pause there and think about that. Angels sinned, angels fell, not one of them is going to be redeemed. 
Jesus didn't come to save the angels. He came to save us. Which means that in the sight of the God, we are more precious to Him even than angels. Therefore, verse 17, He, the Son, had to be made like His brothers, like you and me, in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, that is, to make an atonement, to take away God's wrath over our sin. He had to be made like us in every respect, fully human though He is fully God, fully God and fully man at the same time. He had to be God because He had to be of infinite worth and value. He had to be man because men, humans have sinned and men must pay the price. And in the God-man, in Jesus, we have a propitiation for our sins because He Himself has suffered when tempted. He, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so, the son of chapter 1, who was worshipped by the angels and served by the angels, is now the sacrifice of chapter 2. The one who came to offer himself on the cross to bear the sins of the world away so that God's wrath would be upon us no more. This is the Christ of Christmas. A little different than sentimentality, you think? A little different than songs that make you feel all quiet and gentle. The heavens sing. The Father sings the glory of His Son. Let us Sing His glory. Who, who is this Jesus? Can I, can I put it to you like this? He is, he is the one without beginning who was and will always be. He is wondrous, wise, world creator, worshipped by angels, Word of God. Word with God. Word who was and is God. Woman born. Womb delivered. Word made flesh. Word with us. World invader. Walked on water. Wonder worker. Wandering rabbi. Way maker. Wonderful counselor. World forsaken. Willing sacrifice. Wounded God wickedly slain, wakened from the dead, won the war, worthy lamb, wonderful lion, warrior lord, why we worship, with us wherever we walk and whatever, whenever we weep. He is winepress for the wicked, warning for the wayward, way for the wandering, welcome for the waylaid, Wakening for the wasted, wisdom for the witless, washing for the willing, wealth for the wanting, wellness for the wounded, wonder for the wretched, wind breeze for the wilted, wellspring for the weak, water for the worn, wine for the weeping, wings for the weary, waited for and worth the wait, 
When He comes, wedding host, wedded to us, worship-worthy, wondrous sight, world of love, without end. Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord. Lord Jesus, become everything to us. Because everything else changes. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need something wonderfully unchanging and eternal. We need someone wonderfully unchanging and eternal. We need you, Jesus. Would you please fill our gaze and fill our hearts? Amen.